This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Science Notes, a programme on Otago Access Radio brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorrin, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 to 7pm, only on Otago Access Radio. Well, good evening and welcome to Science Notes again for another week. My name's Dave McMorrin and this week I have the pleasure of having as our guest Elliot Nicholson. Hello, Hello Dave. Thanks for coming along, Elliot. Oh, you're welcome. Elliot is doing a PhD in chemistry at Otago University. You're about halfway through? Just over halfway Just through. Just over halfway. Yeah. The best part of it, probably. Things uh, are starting to work, but not yes. the writing yet. I've got results, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> don't, have to do don't have to worry about the writing for a while. <laughs> there you still. go. Um, and in fact, Elliot's working in, in the group that I did my PhD in. Yes. A thousand years ago. Um, but on something a bit different uh, to what I did. And so we'll be talking tonight a bit about what he is doing. But we will start, as we do, with a bit of music that he's brought along. And so the first one is? Uh, the first one is Sore Teeth, Sore Teeth by Spacey Jane. Okay, here we go.
You're listening to Science Notes on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, where this time we are talking with Elliot Nicholson about his PhD work in chemistry. Yes. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, how is it that you find yourself doing a PhD in chemistry? Uh, well, I didn't come down to Dunedin for that reason whatsoever. I came down to do what most people come to Dunedin for, it's trying into med. Yeah. Very quickly realised it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> uh, so I switched to a chemistry degree. Still with the possible idea of trying to get in postgrad. Yep. But then it was actually in your lab in second year that I quite one started enjoying the chemistry and two met Joe. Uh Lyle's another one of Lyle's PhD students. Oh who, yes, yes. Yep. Oh I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. So she she convinced me to do the third year <laughs> research paper. I love doing that. Yep. While doing that convinced me to do honours, which was a good time apart from the fact that it was in lockdown, so it's a bit of a mesh with no one else being there, yeah, doing so, honours like that. So you were, the system was you were kind of had schedules, didn't you, in times when you could go in, but you were by yourself? or I, Yeah, because no one else was in our lab. I was allowed in all of the time because right. I was the only one in the third full lab. But then it meant that Joe and Beth, who the PhD students trying to teach me how to do stuff, I was yeah. constantly just uh, FaceTiming them. Yeah. <laughs> trying to be like, hey, does this look right? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Does this smell right? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. No, lockdown was kind of challenging. For yeah, doing so that it stuff, made that year quite difficult. And yeah. then they also just, they'd finished their PhDs. They just left uh, like in halfway through of that as well. So I kind of just taught myself most of the stuff during right. during that entire honours year. But it was fun. I enjoyed myself. Yep. And you didn't die. And, and I didn't die. Yeah. So, uh, that's key. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then also, luckily... Joe convinced me to stick around for a PhD, but more importantly, stick, uh, convinced Lyle, my supervisor, to uh, not retire hmm. and actually take me on as a PhD student. It's supposedly meant to be his last one, but that hasn't happened. He's got yeah. another one as well. Um, so then here we are. So here you are. Another three, two, two years later. And so you're doing a PhD in inorganic chemistry. Yes. You've had a few organic people on recently. Or um, boring organic chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Whereas um, I'm an organic chemist, so so, <laughs> so Elliot and I see the organic chemistry as a means to an end. So what is it that you're doing then? Uh, so I'm more of what we call a moth chemist. So that's M-O-F, not moth as in the animal, like yep. my mum thought it was for quite a while. Um, <laughs> it stands for Metal Organic Frameworks. So we're kind of building up 3D crystalline structures for the purposes of storing gases inside them. Right. So, yeah. so the key thing about the moth, moths, is that they're porous. Yes, and they're extremely porous. Some of them, aren't they? Yes, they actually have a massive surface area inside them. If you if you make a good one, that is, um, even for and so they're incredibly light structures as well. Yeah. So, I think I saw somewhere someone describing them a bit like a jungle gym. Yeah, so, that so, makes sense. So you know, lots of metal poles, sort of connecting all together. But you've got lots of empty space in between. We're in a jungle gym. The little kids run around inside. Um, it's I mean, that sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think that would make sense. Um, the other way you described the other day is molecular chicken wire, yeah. which I quite liked. Yeah. Except... But three-dimensional. But three-dimensional is the yeah. problem there. So that if you stacked a lot of chicken wire on top of itself and then there's lots of holes in the chicken wire, yeah. pile of chicken wire, yeah. that molecules can move around and then attach to yeah. one. Or, or just as I'm thinking about it, with, with the way you see it in the shops rolled up, Yep. Stacks of rolled up chicken wire. It's yeah. kind of the sorts of things you're trying to make, only tiny, 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 tiny. Yes. Very, very small. So how do you go about trying to make such a thing? Uh, well, you have to do the annoying organic chemistry first. Yeah. And make a ligand, which I designed in combination with my supervisor. So, uh, the, so a ligand is just a, a ligand, ligand, just a a little, an organic molecule yep. with two or three certain uh, sticky, bits. sticky bits on the end of them. Yep. 
Um, so that's fun. That's actually not too hard to make my ligand, which is basically just a long stick. It's straight. Um, and then you go and you put that in an oven with some solvent and some metal. In my case, the two metals I use is zinc and cadmium. Zinc you've probably heard of. Um, and then you put that in an oven for a while and hope the reaction happens and take it out of the oven and check that it's made. So, so the metals then um, stick the organic th- bits together? Yes. To hopefully give you your three-dimensional structure? Yeah. So and- the idea is if you have if you're sticky bits of the, each end of each molecule then you can stick stuff in all dimensions. If you you know if you only have sticky bits on one end, it's yep. just going to be a metal with like a spiky ball yep. with your yep. molecule with, sticking off it. So you have to have sticky bits at both ends to connect yep. everything together. Yeah, and to be fair, when I did my PhD um, in the early 90s, that's kind of what we all did because to do what you do now would make you stuff, but you had no way of working out what it was. Yes. Cause because the, uh, they tend to not dissolve in anything. And the way we used to try and work out how things were put together was all you make solutions and, stud- and study them. Um, whereas now there's all these amazing new techniques, or, or, or much more much more accessible techniques um, to do this. So, there's, so there's a large extent on which the chemistry that you were doing couldn't have been done 30 years ago. Yeah, um, and well, so it, it is quite new and interesting. Yeah, and I think that's why moth chemistry has really come in, like it's picked up a lot in the last like 10 years like it's been around since the 90s or yeah. something for those groups in America and England and stuff who had the access to uh, diffractometers the machines we use to tell what they are Yeah, back then but then it's just a lot more widespread now it's something that's fun to do and there's more and more structures coming out you know yeah. yearly yeah so you said that you're using zinc and cadmium yeah zinc or cadmium as yes. your metals in them so why those metals in particular um, there's no strong reason behind that. They worked. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. There's, as Lyle likes to say, a strong, uh, a fine line between the art and science of crystallography. Yes. And trying to grow crystals. So I have tried a lot of things, but the zinc and cadmium worked. The cadmium one we don't like the function of so much because it's obviously more toxic than zinc is. Whereas yeah. zinc is fine. It's, we like using zinc all the time. It's a nice transition metal. It's not going to harm anyone. Yeah. And so it, it's happy. We just, it works. Why not? That's basically the answer. <laughs> One of the things about the choice of metal that you use to make these things, though, is that different metals, um, we would say, to have different shapes, but that's not very that's not a very good way of describing it. They have different arrangements in which they like to stick the ligands onto them, don't they? Yeah, they have different. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing with zinc and cadmium. So then, we made the zinc one. Um, that one worked. We then tried the cadmium because it has a very similar way of arranging things yep. as the zinc does, being just one row low on the periodic table. Yep. So that's why we did the cadmium one, I guess, to and see did, if we to see if we could remake what we'd made with the zinc. And did that work? Yes. Oh, there you it's are. exactly the same. Right, because cadmium, because zinc typically you'll have four ligands attached to a zinc. Yeah. Cadmium, you can, can be have four, a few. Yeah. but it can be lots. Yeah. And that could be the fun of it, isn't it? Is that you? Um, you can just get something completely different, even though it should be the same. Yeah. But luckily, mine are. Almost identical. So this is good. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> um, so you said earlier on that the way that you make them is you you, you mix the metal, um, the sticky bit, and the, the ligands, the bits you're trying to stick together, um, in some solvent in an oven. Yeah. So why why that particular way? Um, again, this is one of those things. So there's a few other methods of doing it. I find the, the oven method is just the easiest way of producing a lot of different crystals. So I can change, I can, 
when I put on this reaction, I'm doing like 10 different crystal jars at once or 10 different reactions at one time. And I can yeah. tweak the solvent or tweak the ratio of metal to ligand in each one of those jars. And I can put 10, 20 of them in an oven at once and leave them for three yep. days. Yep. And, Whereas and if I do them in a different method in the fume hood and an oil bath and a beaker, you can put one or two in at a time easily. And we're, we're reacting these for three days. Yeah. So if I take up my fume hood with a beaker for three days, I can't do anything else. It's a bit annoying. So yeah. ovens partially due to convenience. And also because the, the oven that you've got, you can cool because the thing is you want the reaction between the two things to happen when it's hot. Yeah. But then you want to cool it down cool very it down slowly, slowly so you get the crystals, the yeah. crystalline material. Yeah. yeah, as it cools down. And the slowly. oven is quite good at that, isn't it? It cools down very accurately, very slowly. Yeah, our oven's apparently quite fancy. It was quite old. Um, I re- I, <laughs> it arrived in my day, so yes, it is quite old. I won't so say that personally. That instruction manual <laughs> took an, an entire day to read to figure out how to um, cool down the oven. At, at a certain temperatures, but yeah, we can basically ramp the temperatures down to ch- also affect how we're crystal. Yeah, ah, we're forming the crystals. Mm, yes, another variable. Yes, your, your comment about um, this being somewhere between art and science is, is, I think, very true. Yeah, there's there's no rational way to say if I mix this with this and this solvent at this temperature for this long, I will make this. Yeah, you've just got to try a bunch of things. This is the difference works. between your classic organic chemistry, Indeed. where you can, yeah. where you know what's going to happen, and what we're doing is yeah. very experimental. I've got yeah. a big Excel spreadsheet of all the different solvent conditions I've yeah. tried and temperatures and whatnot. It's can be very tedious, and this is kind of a problem for moth chemistry. It seems to me because. There are a lot of very important, very interesting, exciting applications that you can have for these things. But if you're going to do it at scale, you need to have a way to make lots and lots of them reliably. Yep. And so not having having to try out a thousand different things to see which works for each particular moth that you want to make is, is not ideal. No, it's a lot. Yeah, the, the scale part is and it's something I'm actually working on now with the two with, with the moths I have mm. is trying to build that scale up but it's insane so I've gone from uh, two mils of solution and the corresponding amount of metal and ligand and I just tried to increase that by five or something so it's gone to up to ten mils and same amount you put that in the oven and it doesn't make yep. the same thing completely so different. It's, it's completely yeah. different so I've made something that's cool it actually has some fun functionality to it but already trying to make that on scale even just a tiny biggest tiny bit increases difficult yeah. we should talk a bit about the function what what do we use these things for so most commonly they're used for gas storage right um so ba- basically one of the, the idea behind a lot of them is the biggest reason we don't use hydrogen fuel cells and stuff is one the height because we've got the hydrogen fuel cells we can either burn it or we can put it in the battery things um but storing hydrogen is incredibly yeah. difficult yeah because you have to cool it down to a liquid which uses a lot of energy just defeats the purpose of making an energy efficient hydrogen fuel cell. Yeah. Um, so what we're trying to do is, if you put structures inside, which inside these are fuel tanks, which can help store the hydrogen at higher temperatures or lower pressures to reduce that energy cost of actually storing the hydrogen. Yeah. This is the ultimate ideal goal. So people have been doing this. Uh, there's been some success of it in increasing that energy barrier, or de- sorry, decreasing that en- energy barrier. Um, but the most successful version. I think it's a version of Moth 5. It doesn't matter what Moth 5 is, but yep. um, they put that in propane tanks and they can increase the storage of propane in the propane tanks like threefold, I think, right. just by putting the Moth in there. Yep. So immediately it makes it that propane tank, even though it's the same pressure, yep. it's three times more efficient. You can yep. have so much more propane in there. Right. Yeah, so, so this whole idea that we're going to run around with hydrogen-fueled cars 
is fine, but the equivalent of the petrol station is the issue. Yeah. You've got to have and some place to go and get your yeah. hydrogen from. <laughs> and in the car, yes. Yeah. yeah. So the idea is then that these moths kind of act a bit like a sponge does with water. You can soak up the hydrogen. Absorb water, yeah. And then release it as you need it. But then it's a lot safer too, isn't it? Because liquid hydrogen is going to be very explosive. Yeah. Gaseous hydrogen oh, yeah. is very explosive, so it's a bit dangerous. Yeah. When the hydrogen is in these sorts of in these framework materials, these moths, it's a lot less likely to do that. Should be more inert, yeah, because yeah. you've trapped it from all the outside gases and stuff yeah. as well, which is what it's going to ignite with if you ideally have it inside these moths. Yeah. yeah. So, like I say, hugely important applications for these things. If you can work out the ones that can absorb the hydrogen really well, and then be able to make it on a ton scale, yeah, which you would need. <laughs> so we're still a way off yet, but yeah, we're all contributing. Yeah. Yes. Um, we're just about out of time. What next for you? So, you, so you're about halfway through. Yeah. Um, so you've got, you've got, and and I should have said actually, you're you're working at Otago, but you've also got quite strong collaborations with the University of Sydney. Yes, with Lauren McCready. So they do. She's doing what the gas absorption stuff for you. She does all that for me. So I'm hopefully going to go over there. So my moths actually have been able to absorb gas, including hydrogen. Yeah. Which has been quite nice. Um, but she's we've been having to send them all over to her because we don't have the facilities. Yeah. Easily accessible in, in Otago, at least. Yeah. So she's doing, in Australia, just about everyone. Yeah, they're so industry. So. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, I'm going to get to go over to do the measurements myself, the gases will measurements. Cool. And then hopefully, we're also going to get to go to the synchrotron, a big particle accelerator in Melbourne, and do a whole lot of other experiments because we found out like our my structures are very stable. So we're hopefully going to try and put them in a what we're calling a diamond anvil cell and do high pressure crystallography. Right. So, so to measure the structure under very high pressure. Yeah, so it's like if you're putting a big weight on the chicken wire and seeing if it holds itself, holds the weight or if it completely squishes yep. down. We're going to see if it does that. And then we're going to do some other fun things with Courtney, who works at Otago, do some completely opposite, low-pressure stuff, but looking at it in IR. We've got a whole right. lot of plans to do with these structures. Cool. Excellent. So yeah. now that you've got something that's working, you've got a lot, you know. Yeah, the big challenge of actually getting them off on my PhD is uh, being ticked off rather yeah. early, so yeah. I can have some more fun with other things. Excellent. So then you so you do that, you've got to write it all up. And yep. then after that, more I don't science? Know. Uh, probably. Yeah. I assume so. It's a year and a half or That's just right. over a year away yet. So I haven't fully committed myself, but I think so. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for coming along and talking mm. to us about what you've been up to. You're um, welcome. It's been fun. And all the best for, for the rest of it. And I will just remind you that you can listen to the show again at your leisure as a podcast from the Otago Access Radio website, which is www.oar.org.nz. We will finish with Elliot's second piece of music, which is... This is Still Feeling You by Couch. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hey, see you when I'm sleeping. God, when I wake. Cause when... When I'm all done dreaming, you fade away. Well, I know it's been a year since we talked about fears and I Don't know why we call it quits. We just couldn't quite commit. But now I'll admit that maybe I'm still feeling you.
Science Notes, a program on Otago Access Radio, brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorran, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 to 7pm, only on Otago Access Radio. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.